Every so often I stop and ask myself, what am I trying to do here? What is the point of all of this? And a while back, it dawned on me, I'm trying to redefine the stepmom experience. I want to redefine how stepmoms approach stepmotherhood, how they feel about stepmotherhood, how society views stepmoms, how we approach step family life. I want to redefine the whole thing, which is why I named my new coaching program, Redefine Stepmotherhood. Consider this program, Kick-Ass Stepmom 101. Think about this. What would it be like to feel more confident in your role as a stepmom, to have the tools to improve relationships and minimize conflict and feel less triggered about things that are outside of your control? What if you felt confident in your role with your stepkids and your partner and even the ex? This program is for stepmoms who are struggling to find their place, who are triggered by the ex, who feel like they have no control, like resentment is creeping in, or deep down they know that things shouldn't feel this hard. The results? You'll feel more confident and secure about your role as a wife and a stepmom. You'll create healthy relationships, even with those who don't want a healthy relationship with you. You will stop with the ex-wife stepmom pissing match. You are so done with the competition. You'll stop dwelling on things you don't have control over. You'll improve the vibe of your home and create a safe and healthy space for you and your family. You'll set boundaries and disengage in a way that facilitates connection and improves relationships. You will redefine your stepmom experience. Now, the program starts May 15th and won't be run again until 2024. So if you want to get access to my framework that has helped thousands of stepmoms redefine their stepmom experience, join while the card is open. Head to jamiescrimger.com forward slash mastermind to join. And if you are a member of the Kick-Ass Stepmom community, don't forget to use your discount code for 20% off. That's www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash mastermind. You know, when my girls and I were in it, we didn't know that he was super extreme. We just, it was just our day-to-day life. I've been doing this for seven years and there's probably only two clients that I've worked with that I could say that the person that I helped them get away from was more extreme than the one that I lived with for 14 years. Mm -hmm. But I would have never known that. Well, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so looking back, now I know why I had to leave my girls, why I had to go through all that, because I I wouldn't be any good at my job if I wouldn't have had the extreme people ask me all the time, what would you do different? I don't think I would do anything different. I would never want to go through it again. Thank you very much. But everything that I had to go through, I am using to help somebody else. And to me, it was totally worth going through it. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So, I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. This episode literally blew my mind. So today I'm talking to Heidi Brock, a toxic relationship awareness and healing specialist. And after spending 14 years in an extremely emotionally and narcissistically abusive relationship, she broke the chains and turned her past into her passion. In this conversation, she shares her story of fleeing from a toxic relationship. She explains her experience with emotional abuse and what she had to do to keep her children safe. Heidi left everything, including her 24-year career in healthcare and her chiropractic practice, her home, her belongings, everything to start over and eventually use her life experience and education to be the person that she needed when she was trapped in the darkness of an unhealthy relationship. I found this conversation so eye-opening, and I think you will too. If you're in a toxic relationship, if you're wondering if you're in a toxic relationship, or you're looking to support someone in a toxic relationship... There's something in this conversation for everyone. Let's dive in. So I feel like the best female-driven businesses, and maybe not just female-driven, but the best businesses come from seeing a need for yourself and your own personal experience. And I get to talk to so many women on the podcast who have experienced something, learned so much from it, and it's like, okay, I got to take this and I got to create the support that women like me need, which is obviously what you have done. So I would love to start by hearing 
let's talk about your experience in toxic relationships and, and how this all started. Yeah, because anybody that knows me is like, that's what you want to talk about all day long, every day. The first thing I always let everybody know is I go by Dr. Heidi, um, but I'm not a mental, I'm not a licensed mental health professional. And so that being said, anything, any of the education I do and any of the work that I do with my clients is all based off of experience and the things that, that I have learned by doing um, toxic relationship awareness and healing for seven years. Also, that being said, it doesn't mean dump your therapist or your counselor because there's a lot of fantastic therapists and counselors out there. And don't, I mean, a lot of them know me now, but don't say, well, Dr. Heidi. So I always want to put that out there. I am a chiropractor acupuncturist by trade. Uh, So I was in healthcare for almost 25 years when I was able to retire in 2020 to do this full time. And I loved chiropractic, but I love this more. Um, I think the Lord said, you're going to be a chiropractor for 25 years while I train you for your real job. Um, But I grew up in a little tiny Dutch community in Bozeman, Montana. And if if people didn't know where Bozeman was before Yellowstone started the series, now everybody knows where Bozeman is. Yes, that's where I grew up. And I went to a little tiny Christian school. We, we all went to the same church. We all went to the same school. And so I saw the same people for the first 18 years of my life. And my perception from inside that community was everybody has your best interest in mind. Everybody's taking care of you. Everybody's got, you know, got your back. And of course, now as an adult, looking back into the same community, I'm like, okay, yeah. So my perception was a little off when I was a kid and growing up, but um, I think I left that community thinking that that's how everybody was. And I went to grad school at age 21 and it was there that I met my former, my former husband. And I always say this part because I knew I didn't want to go on a first date. There was something when he asked me out, I was like, uh. and funny too. I don't think we would have even met if we weren't the only two on the campus that were Wranglers because we were in the Midwest. He was from out West. I was from out West and we just happened to be the only two that were wearing Wranglers and cowboy boots the day we met. But I put off the first date like seven times. And then I started feeling bad and started feeling guilty and started feeling like I was being mean. Um, and so I ended up going out with them and I didn't want to go on a second date and the same thing. And then I didn't, I didn't want to sleep with them. And then I didn't want to move in. And then I didn't want to get married. And then I found out I was pregnant and then I got married anyway. And blah, blah, blah. 14 years later, I still had the same feeling. There was something very unsettling through the 14 years, things got crazy. Things got awful. And I only preface by saying, I knew I didn't want to go on a date because I didn't do the whole listen to your gut thing. I didn't realize that was my gut going, Oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the best idea. Um, my personality is very emotional. I'm very emotional wired. I would never have chose healthcare if I didn't get fulfillment in life by helping and supporting and making other people feel better. And that's basically what I do. I'll I'll be the first one to cancel plans so somebody else can have their plans. You know, I'm, I'm the compromiser. I'm the adapter. And anyway, I ended up finally running away uh, from that relationship. And in doing so, I signed everything that I had worked for 12 years over. We had a practice together. I signed everything over to him. Practice, patience, accounts receivable, property. I, I literally packed up my decorations and my clothes and I moved four hours south and I left two teenage daughters there, which I know that sounds horrible. Um, anybody who's been in a emotionally abusive, um, manipulative, psychologically abrasive relationship might be able to understand that. Um, I couldn't fight with him one more day. And by the time I ran away, I, I felt like I was running for my life um, because I had kind of started standing up for myself and things escalate when you stand up for yourself. And um, I would have never, I would have never been a purposeful type of life-threatening situation. It would have been accidentally hurting me in a fit of rage is what it would have been. And then my girls would have had no one. Um, I would also like to say that when I finally ran away from him, I had already been divorced for two years. Oh, okay. So divorced him, nothing changed for two years. And so I looked at myself one day and thought, this is not the example of a mom that my kids need. I will do no good in their life. I will never be able to be there for them if I don't get out and get myself back to ground level at least. And the other thing I knew is this type of personality. Now I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now in the profession that I do, but, but I, I knew that if I kept making excuses for his behavior, that he would just transfer the control and the power and the manipulation onto the girls 
and they'd be 40 years old and still being controlled by their dad. So I knew that my girls were tough and I knew they were problem solvers and I, they'd been in it as long as I had that they had to see his true colors so that when they were 18, they could make their own decision on the type of relationship that they wanted with him. So that's how I left, um, moved far hours South, had to start new practice. I had, I was nothing but $50,000 in debt because I had no income, no way to start a new practice, blah, blah, blah. Started a handbag company. I started doing vendor shows and home parties and the handbag company for the first two years sustained my expenses to open a new practice. I did not talk about it when I was in it. If any of your listeners are in relationships where they appear to be super happy and the cutest little couple in public, and then it doesn't feel the same at home, it's because one, nobody really understands unless they've been through it. And two, if you get caught talking about what happens at home, you get in trouble, right? So I never talked about it when I was in it. Well, then when I moved, I'm trying to build a new life and trying to make new friends. And I didn't talk about it either. How am I supposed to explain that I'm a mom that left two teenage daughters four hours north, right? So I didn't talk about it. At that point, I'd been a chiropractor for 25 years. And I don't, I don't know what types of jobs you have, but everybody goes through burnout in their jobs, right? And I remember one day patients were coming in and this sounds so bad. This sounds so bad, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, whatever, just get on the table. And, and I know that when I get to, yeah, yeah, whatever, get on the table, it's time for me to change something. Now I can adjust people in the dark with my eyes shut. I'd been doing it for so long, but, but that's not help. That's not putting the care into my patients that I needed. So I thought if you can incorporate something that fires you up, you're going to be better in, in all the areas of your life. So I started hosting women's retreats on making yourself a priority because I'd never been the priority. I'd always been the compromiser and the giver upper and the, okay, that's fine. Do whatever you want type of, you know, the, where do you want to eat? I don't care person. And by the second retreat, all of a sudden examples from my former relationship just started falling out of my mouth. And I remember, I remember covering my mouth thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that because the minute you allude to an abusive situation, people look at you differently. And I thought, oh, well, now everybody knows. And actually what happened is I realized all of the people that were attending my retreats were coming out of emotionally abusive relationships. And so that's, that's what kind of got me thinking. So I, I spent almost two years digging back, pulling everything out from underneath the rug, really evaluating that relationship. And I wrote all my programs that I teach today off of my experience. And, um, that's how I ended up in this. I did not choose this mission. This mission landed in my lap and I would have never, ever thought that I would have been doing it. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm sorry that you went through this, but I love hearing women take their experience and what they've learned and, and help support other women. Obviously, that's kind of how things started with this platform as well. And I just think those are the best businesses and yeah, super inspiring. I would love to go back though. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like after you left? Because you said I had been divorced for two years, Mm -hmm. but he still had that control over me. What does that look like? So I told you before we started recording, if I get off on a tangent, because I am such an educator that when somebody asks me a question, I think, oh my gosh, there's like 12 foundation things people have to know. So then I, you know, I go backwards, but I chose the word toxic. I want to talk about the word toxic really quick before I answer that. Toxic is not a diagnosis. And I chose the word toxic in my job title seven years ago before it was all over social media. Okay. Toxic is an adjective and it describes any relationship in the status that it's in that may be unhealthy for you mentally, physically, or emotionally. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't have a checkbox. It doesn't have, you know, signs and symptoms. It doesn't have any of that. And the thing that people miss. So if, if there's listeners listening, the thing people miss is we are the ones that get to decide who in our life is healthy for us and who is not. We don't have to compare our relationship to Jane's down the street and we don't have to compare to, you know, what we hear on the news because I remember thinking, oh, well, I should be grateful because he's not doing this, this, and this, right? So, so toxic is for you to decide. And, and really what it ends up is it would, it's so confusing in those situations. You, you can't really, you can't really make heads or tails out of whether it's bad or good. So kind of back to your question, you know, what is it, what does it look like? The reason these type of relationships are, are so hard to leave is it's not bad all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a couple bad days and then there's some good days. So, so over time, what ends up happening is you just wait for the good days and you know, oh, if a couple bad days show up, you just grit your teeth because 
the bad days always end and then there's good days. Now, when I think back, the good days weren't even that good. They were just so much better than the bad days that they felt like good days. Mm-hmm. You know, and what had happened to my, my the girls and I is his behavior became so normal to us that we didn't see it as harmful or hurtful or unhealthy anymore. You know, being in a relationship that's not healthy for you is like walking into a room that stinks. If you stay in the room, the smell goes away, right? It's not because the room doesn't stink. It's because your body has desensitized you to that smell. So you don't smell it and you don't realize how bad it smelled until you walk out of the room. And I remember my girls, they would tell people what, what happened in the house and, and other people would look at him like, are you serious? And I remember, I'll never forget. I think she was probably six and she goes, oh yeah, it happens every day because he was a yeller. He was a criticizer. He was a screamer. You know, he was very, very high temper. And my girls were so used to that. They thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. So, so then when you start thinking, well, is this really bad or is this not bad? Well, you start comparing the not so bad days to the really bad days. And you think there's good days when there's really not that great of days. So the things that a toxic personality will do. Now, this is where I could go. I could talk till next week, Tuesday. This is really what it is. is it's, It ends up being two people in the relationship that have different goals. And so you think you're working towards this one goal, which is companionship and partnership and intimacy and emotional support and everything that, that we step into relationships for. And normally the toxic personality in the beginning is going to say, oh, that's exactly what I want. I want all of that. Um, and And really the reason they're in relationships is mostly for security in themselves. So when you take these relationship goals and put it up against they're here for security in themselves, things don't really mesh that well. Mm-hmm. What you end up having is you having a giver, 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 and a taker, taker, taker. And when you have a personality like I do, which is, oh, yes, how can I help? How can I make your world better today? That's, that's just how I operate. And I got up in the morning and I made sure everybody in my world was okay today. And my, my girls did the same thing. Let's just not make him mad. Let's just keep him quiet. Let's just keep him happy. Let's, and, and walking on eggshells all the time, trying to stay one step ahead of what was, what was coming next, right? So all of this stuff like criticism, instilling fear, uh, blaming other people, crossing your boundaries, isolating you from other people, those are all some of the tactics that I teach. Those are things that the toxic person will use to kind of stay in control of you because then they feel more secure. Okay. So, so I'll never forget. Um, I was so excited to have divorce papers in my hand. Now there's a whole entire story on how I ended up getting those divorce papers in my hand, which that's, that's another podcast probably. But I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to finally be free. And I had divorce papers in my hand for two years and literally nothing changed. Um, the only two things that changed was I wanted a different place to live. I thought it was ridiculous if we were living in the same house. Like it went from this is crazy to complete full on Jerry Springer is what it went to. And so I was able to get a house, but he would only release the funds from the business if it was on the same property. Okay. Now to me, that felt, oh, that's going to be so nice. And really being on the same property, he could see when I was home. He could see when I wasn't home. He could see who was there. He knew what time I went to bed, blah, 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 blah. We couldn't see each other's houses, but all you had to do was go through the horse pasture and and he he could keep very close tabs on me. Um, refused to let me buy his half of the business out, refused to s- let me sell my half. So there I was without a job unless I stayed there. All the money was filtered through the business, which was set up purposely. But when we did it, we were married and it seemed logical. So it wasn't that I didn't have money, but I didn't have access to any money that I could use without him knowing because it, it all went went through the business. In the divorce paper, he agreed to 50-50. He would not sign a parenting plan. Okay, so there was nothing that held either of us accountable on when we were supposed to have the kids and when we weren't. And I didn't realize it at the time, and I was so excited to get out. I just signed the divorce papers, and there was no accountability. So the things like the blame and the control and the financial abuse and the crossing my boundaries and you know me catering to him so he wouldn't get mad, that just kept going. And again, I didn't know then what I know now. So I, I was so excited to be divorced. And then after about a year and a half, I was still 
unable. You weren't very, you weren't divorced. No, I didn't. I was completely unable to live my life. Mm-hmm. There was, there was no way that I could do anything different than when I was married. He could have girlfriends now that weren't behind my back. But if, if he thought for one second that I was going to talk to somebody, well, he would get mad and threaten me. Well, I had to be at work with him at eight 30 every morning and work side by side seeing patients. So of course I'm not going to bring that into work. So I just basically decided this is, I'm going to have to have my life like this until my girls are 18. I'm, this is just going to have to be it. And things kept escalating. And the more I stood up for myself, the worse it got. I was sitting in my house with the lights off, hoping he would think I wasn't home. And it just kept, it kept getting worse and worse and worse because I kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And as I got stronger, he got more insecure over the loss of control over me. So things had to escalate. You know, things got a lot more violent. Um, they got a lot more scary was what I should say. And I just, I remember waking up one day thinking, I can't do this one more day. But my options were pack up and leave and leave everything or stay here and do what I'm doing. Knowing if I packed up and left everything, I would have to leave my kids because the way the divorce papers were written, I couldn't really pick them up and move them, right? Because we had 50-50. So the only way I knew I could get out was, was to leave them. So that's what I did. And it was the worst, the worst day of my life was driving away in the U-Haul with really nothing but stuff and stuff really means nothing and leaving my kids. But because it was 50, 50, I thought in my head, okay, well, we'll work out a schedule. And instead he kept my girls from me for five years. I didn't have access to him. He blocked me from their phone and told them that I had sent him a letter that I didn't want the girls in my life anymore. And, and so I went their whole teenage years without having my kids and worst five years of my life. I knew that they were okay. I had to learn that if I didn't hear from him, things were fine. If I heard from them, it was an emergency. So even though I left and even though he told them that I didn't want them in my, in their life, they absolutely 100% knew that if they called me, I'd be there. Mm -hmm. And there were several emergencies because what happened is as soon as I left, he just put the girls into the position that I was and they were doing all the work and they weren't allowed to have friends. They were pulled out of school to homeschool so he could have complete control over them. And I knew leaving that that's what would happen. But I also knew that, that my girls had to see it because at some point they needed to make the decision. And five years later, they ran away also. Did they know where you were? Like, was there any communication after you left? Oh, if there was an emergency, they would borrow somebody's phone and call me. Okay. They they knew exactly where, and I always made sure they knew I loved them no matter what. You know, I was sorry. I felt so guilty over leaving them. I loved them no matter what. They could call me anytime. I would be there for them anytime they needed me. And there was nothing that they could do no matter how bad it got that, that would make me stop loving them. And I just kept making sure that I reiterated that. So when there was an emergency, they would call mom. And the first couple of years, I would go up there because they thought they were ready to leave. And I would pack them up while he was at work. And I'd I'd take them with me. And it would only take a couple of weeks. And he would somehow get a hold of one of them and threaten to sell their rodeo horses or, you know, say that their dog was sick. And and, okay, these are little girls. So then they they would get nervous that he was going to sell their rodeo horses. And they'd, they'd figure out how to get back up there. Mm-hmm. And so the last couple of years, I just didn't go rescue them because I thought if I keep rescuing them, they're not going to learn to rescue themselves either. And um, I think it was 2015, right when I was trying to decide if I wanted to actually do this for a living, if I was ready to start talking about my story, it was the same time there was a huge altercation, huge physical altercation between he and my girls, and they ended up moving for ourselves and they left everything as well. They are 27 and 25 now, and they're both on their own and they're both doing fine. And I should tell you, my youngest, who's 25, hasn't spoken to her dad in six years. Mm-hmm. And my oldest knows exactly how superficial she has to keep the relationship in order to keep herself safe. So my goal in wanting them to see his true colors actually worked because they both know very well how to protect themselves from him. About two years ago, we finally took a trip. I booked an Airbnb somewhere and the three of us finally got to go somewhere because they wanted to go through our pictures. Well, I had never been able to go back and look at pictures because everything was a trigger. You didn't remember, oh, remember this Christmas? It was so happy. It was, remember this Christmas when, yeah, he got mad and broke broke every ornament on the tree and disappeared for three days. 
So I was, I didn't look at pictures because they were very triggering. We were able to go through all the pictures. And of course we laughed and we cried and we just talked about a lot of stuff. And that day they told me, they said, mom, you can't feel guilty one more day for leaving us. We knew exactly why you left. We hated that you left and and had to leave us. But if you wouldn't have left, we would all still be there. And there's a possibility one of us wouldn't even be here anymore because that's how volatile it was getting. It was a huge relief for them to say, you can't feel guilty about it one more day. We're fine. Everything's fine. And even to this day, if I have to do, if I have to be a guest on a podcast where I know I'm going to have to talk about this, my oldest will go, mom, don't forget. We're all fine. So you'll get tears like you always do, but we're all fine. So don't forget we're all fine. And it happened like it was supposed to, but that's kind of one of the things that, that led me into this work too, because when I was, when I was in it, I kept thinking, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Like, I really feel like I'm a good person. Now I'm not a perfect person, obviously, but I was in healthcare and I took care of people all the time. And I, I never really feel like I could think of a time where I intentionally hurt someone, you know? So when I was in it, I kept thinking, good grief, what did I do to, to end up in something like this? Cause I mean, I was, I was suffering every day. I lived with a pain in my stomach. I was nervous all the time. I'm very extroverted. I'm loud. I'm the crazy one. I 152 miles an hour. And by the time I left, I had blonde hair because three weeks after we got married, he said he was really disappointed. He was always going to marry blonde. So through the, the years, it was highlight, 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 because maybe I'll be good enough. Maybe I'll be good enough. Maybe I'll be good enough. Maybe I'll approve of me, you know, and my hair was just one thing. I never laughed. I never talked unless a patient came in to see me. I didn't even look up. I looked at the ground almost hundred percent of the time, by the time I left that relationship, I had lost everything about me. That was me because I was compromising everything to try and keep trying to keep him happy. And so the years that I didn't have my kids, I had to really start digging into, well, what makes you happy? Well, nobody had asked me that in 14 years. I had no idea. You know, where do you want to eat? I don't know. I couldn't order off of a menu. Because it wasn't that he was telling me what to order, but he would say something like, how come you're having chicken? Mm-hmm. Or don't you think that's too expensive? So at 35 years old, I'm ordering something that might not be what, what he's ordering and might be a lower price than him, ordering something I didn't even want in hopes that it wouldn't get criticized. So it was very difficult for me to make decisions. It was very difficult for me to put myself out there and not worry what other people thought and not worry that I wasn't good enough and not worry that I wasn't going to fit in. I mean, I was complete opposite of the person that had stepped into that relationship. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Guys, I am going to be super straight with you. I'm in the weeds of life right now. Yesterday, I asked Darren, do you ever feel like life is going to slow down? Do you think it's ever not going to feel so complicated? Because even though I'm someone who prioritizes self-care and spending time on myself, Lately, I feel like it's been all about work and kids and family and adult relationships, and it just feels so complicated. But you know, that's okay. Life happens in seasons, and during the season, balance is off. But I have really had to check myself because I know from experience that when I spend all of my time giving and doing, it can leave me feeling burnt out and stretched thin. Plus, I haven't been doing regular therapy, and I can feel the difference. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. And as I have shared, therapy has been a huge part of my growth from diving into my triggers and my past and helping me navigate struggles in relationships and family to challenging old narratives and finding balance. Therapy has been a saving grace. And I am in the process of looking for a new therapist because I felt like my old therapist just wasn't a fit anymore. That's the key to therapy, finding a therapist that is aligned with you. And that's actually one of the reasons why I love BetterHelp. Not only is BetterHelp completely online and designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule, you can switch your therapist at any time for free. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And then if it isn't a fit, you go back to the drawing board and you can find a new one. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com forward slash stepmom and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash stepmom and get on your way to being your best self. I was just away in St. Martin for 11 days. It is the longest I've ever been away. And I have to say it was amazing to be in the sun and just chill. 
but the bedding in the hotel was not good. Actually, it was terrible. I did not sleep well at all. In fact, I didn't realize how not good the bedding was until I got home and got back into my bamboo sheets and PJs from Cozy Earth. When we woke up the morning after we got home, I literally looked at Darren and said, how much did you miss these sheets? Even he loves them. They're insanely comfortable, made from 100% premium viscose from bamboo. They have an oversized fit, which is key because there's nothing more annoying than your sheets and duvet cover not covering the whole bed. They're temperature regulating. They get softer with every wash. This is top tier luxury bedding that is unmatched in quality, comfort, and feel. Now, you've also heard me talk about the pajamas forever. I didn't bring them down south because it's a pants set and I didn't want to get too hot, but I am for sure getting myself a short set now because I miss them big time. The bamboo PJ set is also unreal. With 100 nights sleep trial and easy returns, I cannot recommend Cozy Earth enough. Now, they have generously given listeners of the podcast a 40% off. Yeah, 40%. That is huge. Just use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. That's COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the jogger set. I have them in black and white. www.CozyEarth.com and use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. Now, you said when you have a personality like I do, and you're talking about, you know, being giving, wanting to like give up your plans so that it's like you're just very much accommodating. Is that your personality now? Oh, my personality is way bigger than that now. The work that I do now, I know exactly why I went through it. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have never thought I was going to do this. And and I'm actually kind of good at this job. I bet you are. You know, I would never have been able to do it. And, you know, when my girls and I were in it, we didn't know that he was super extreme. We just, it was just our day-to-day life. I've been doing this for seven years and there's probably only two clients that I've worked with that I could say that the person that I helped them get away from was more extreme than the one that I lived with for 14 years. Mm -hmm. But I would have never known that. Well, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so looking back, now I know why I had to leave my girls, why I had to go through all that because I I wouldn't be any good at my job if I wouldn't have had the extreme. People ask me all the time, what would you do different? I don't think I would do anything different. I would never want to go through it again. Thank you very much. But everything that I had to go through, I am using to help somebody else. And to me, it was totally worth going through it. Mm -hmm. Did he come after you when you left? Oh, I left him six times before I finally left. Um, And he came after me every time. Uh, The difference was I knew I was at probably almost a mental breaking point at that point. And I also knew that if he did break me, my girls would have no one. And so I was, I was going off of that. And I had somebody say something to me that I use with my clients a lot. Um, that type of personality really leads you to believe that if you make the wrong decision, a firing squad's going to show up, you know, like, oh, I ordered chicken and now I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, so when I had to make big decisions like moving and starting a new business and, and getting those big decisions in line, it was, it was so hard. So the day that I felt like I can't do this one more day, I had somebody tell me, well, you have two options. You can either stay there and keep doing what you've been doing for 14 years, or you can leave and we'll figure it out. And at that point, I just, I knew I couldn't stay and I packed a duffel bag and off I went. Now there was a year and a half of more Jerry Springer because I still had to work with him till I could get out of the business then a year and a half later, I signed everything over and moved permanently. But that being said, the decision-making process was awful. One, I didn't know who I was. Two, I couldn't make a decision. Three, I had zero money. And looking back, I would have done it exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I do have a lot of people go, oh my gosh, how come she didn't take him back to court? Right? Yeah. How come you didn't? Okay. So that, that personality... I, it's nose dripping season. I'm sorry. And you made my eyes water. Oh, I make you talk about my girls. <laughs> um, um, that type of personality really likes to argue. I was a trained fighter when I got out of that because the control and power that they need to feel secure, they're always going to win the fight. They never really get into a conversation. They get into a verbal competition. And there are these three hour round and rounds until I took the blame or, you know, I apologized or, or whatever. And I knew that if I took him back to court, that was keeping him in my, in my life. And I thought the goal of you leaving was to get him out of your life. 
and that's what I'm going to do. And I will stay in touch with the girls enough to know that, that I'm here if they need me and I'm going to get my shit together so that when they're ready, I'm ready because I knew if I kept fighting him, the same thing that had been happening for happening for two years would have happened because I was scared of him. I was scared of his threats. I was worried he was going to get mad. He knew that, that if he couldn't get to me, if he took it out on the girls, that would hurt me. And I just knew me taking him back would have been a whole nother year and a half worth of stuff that, that I couldn't put myself through and I couldn't put my girls through. So I just thought when they're ready, I need, I need to be back to where I can be the example of the mom that they need. Um, since then I have, I mean, I have worked with hundreds of people over the last few years and I've had a couple that wanted to do the same thing as me. It was just so exhausting for them to have to try and co-parent or to try and stay in the relationship for the kids that they wanted to leave their kids. And I know enough now how to navigate them through that so that, that they don't have to, I, I will, that would be my last resort. But I know why I had to do it because I, I wouldn't be able to help these people if I wouldn't have had to do it that way. And it makes sense to me. It really does. You're just done. You're, I can't do the fight. I don't want to do the long yeah. drawn out process. I can't do the power plays and all of that, you know, just like walk away. And I had, I had 12 years invested in that chiropractic office. I mean, that was my living and I let him have it all and just left. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good for you. Sometimes when I say that, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Um, but watching some of, I have a client right now going on a five and a half year divorce. Oh yeah. Court system is no joke. Yep. And when I look at her, I would do it the same. And honestly, the reason I started this is, is I'm trying to be the person I needed when I was going through it. And the legal system and the domestic violence system and your officers, none of them helped me one bit. I'm not saying there's not good systems out there, but because, because it was emotionally abusive, they didn't have a lot of things to offer. And, and that's basically, I want to be the support through that, knowing that the system is broken when it comes to emotional abuse and toxic relationships. How does someone know that they're in a toxic relationship? I know you had said that at the beginning of our conversation, that it's kind of individual and depends on your situation. But if someone's listening to this right now and asking themselves, okay, am I in a toxic relationship or is this normal, right? What would your advice be? My, my, my ground level thing is if you're questioning that you're in a toxic relationship, you probably are. If you're Googling how to be a better spouse, how to be better for my partner, I was never the one that would Google, is my relationship unhealthy? I would have been the one Googling, how can I be a better wife? How can I fix my relationship? Because the people that are wondering right now, if they've been in a toxic relationship, they have already tried every single thing they know to do to make the relationship better. And it's never better. So, so to your question, if, if someone is in a toxic relationship, there is this, I call it the treadmill of unrealistic expectations. Okay. In the beginning of these relationships, this is where it's very confusing. There's a lot of admiration towards you. Most of them start very, oh, they love everything about you. They love your family. They love that you're financially independent. They love that you have black hair. Like they love, it's love, love, love. Okay. During that stage, they're trying to see if you're the personality that's going to accommodate to them when they need it. Okay. The other thing they're doing there is they're trying to get you to invest in the relationship and believe they're trustworthy. So there's a certain period of time and it could be a month. It could be a couple of years where they're all about you and they're your soulmate and they're so glad they met you. And as soon as they know you're committed, you'll feel a shift in the relationship and it might almost everybody can pinpoint when it happened. It was when we got engaged. It was when we had a baby. It was when we moved in together. It was when we got married and then they'll notice criticisms and comparisons and belittling will start. Um, You'll try to set a boundary and they'll cross it. Remember I said earlier how control is a big thing. They have to control the people in their life in order to feel secure. So when you set a boundary, who's taking control? If I set a boundary and say, can you please not walk in the house with muddy shoes after I'm off the floor? That's me taking control of that situation. Okay, we don't get to have control. So the only way they can regain that control is to cross our boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And, and what I ended up doing is it was easier for me to not set boundaries because there was always conflict when I did. So then from the outside, people are going, well, Heidi, how come you can't stand up for yourself? Well, why are you such a pushover? Okay, my mom sent me the boundaries book three times while I was married to him. And I remember the first time I got it, I thought, oh my gosh, 
this is going to be the answer. And I read the entire thing and I had already tried every single thing that was in that book. Mm-hmm. And I lived with the pain in my stomach all the time. Now I saw that pain. I felt that pain the minute, not really a pain, uneasiness. When he first asked me out and I didn't feel right about it, we accidentally ignore that. And as a healthcare professional, chiropractors really believe in the innate intelligence, which is the body heals itself. Okay. When you get that feeling in your stomach, that's your body's natural defense mechanism telling you something's wrong. But what did I do when I first got it? Oh, Heidi, you're being mean. You're being a bitch. Don't, you know, I'm sure he's fine. You know, and then when the real red flag started showing up, I started making excuses for that too. I'd get that pain in my stomach when he would chew out a waiter or get road rage. I'd get that uneasy feeling and I would, oh, he must've had a bad day. You know, I know he's stressed out. And I would, I would ignore that warning sign. And pretty soon my girls and I lived with a pain in our stomach all the time because the toxic personality is very unpredictable and they're very inconsistent. So if you're wondering if your relationship is toxic, they're the ones that you call before you leave home on your way home from work and they're in a great mood and you drive 13 minutes home and the mood you get to when you get home 13 minutes later is completely different. You could have a great day on Tuesday and on Wednesday with no reason that you could explain, except I must've done something wrong Their Wednesday could be the complete opposite. So when we're in those, we're trained to stay one step ahead of them. So if you find yourself always going, having a plan A and a plan B, okay, are they in a good mood? We're going to do this. If they're in a bad mood, we're going to do this. Kids, if they come home and this door slams, just go to your room and don't fight tonight. Like you're, you're constantly paying attention to their mood so that you can anticipate what's coming to keep yourself safe. And a lot of people will describe that as that walking on eggshells. Okay. If this is the love of your life and your soulmate, there's not supposed to be walking on eggshells and be worried if they're angry. There is usually a small amount of fear. Now, if somebody would have asked me if I was scared of him during the first four years, I would have said no, because in the first four or five years, I wasn't scared at all for my physical safety, Mm -hmm. but I was scared of upsetting him. I was scared of making him mad. I was scared of disappointing him. Okay. If you think about why would the toxic personality want somebody fearful? Okay. That's a power thing. If they're scared of me, I have a little power and our attention is on them the entire time we're scared of them. Right. I mean, you never watch jaws and not wonder where that freaking shark is (laughs) because that's the fear factor. So it's, you live under this level of fear because they were, they were in a good mood five seconds ago. And I remember my girl saying this, he just gets mad all of a sudden. And we don't even know why he's mad. Okay. That's, that's them keeping your attention on them. They don't want you to have time to have your attention on you. When I told you how I totally turned into a completely different person, I think the the final straw in that was the isolation factor. Um, the toxic personality is usually very emotionally abusive, you know, and I had people tell me that, but I didn't pay attention to what the definition of emotional. So was. people in your life pointed it out. Oh yeah. And, and the fact that I had left six times, right. Mm-hmm. I had moved out six times and, and he figured out how to talk me back into coming. What emotional abuse is, is, is when they use your emotions to get what they need. And, and eventually what he and most will do is they want you dependent on them for how you feel. So if they're in a good mood, you're in a good mood. If they're in a bad mood, you're in a bad mood. Um, If they think you should feel guilty, you feel guilty. If they say something that makes you feel guilty, you do exactly what they say to get rid of the feeling of guilt. They'll say things like, well, why do you feel like that? Well, you shouldn't feel like that. Well, how come you're feeling like that? Well, you're too sensitive. Well, you're overreacting. So we start feeling like every emotion or feeling we have is wrong. So we start paying attention to how we think they think we should feel. So when I left the first two times, all he had to say was, I can't believe you're breaking up our family. And I didn't take a half a second to go, wait, this isn't a family. This is the most dysfunctional thing I've ever seen. I just went, I feel guilty because he said, I'm breaking up the family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like the feeling of guilt. I went back. The feeling of guilt went away. He got exactly what he wanted and he was back in control. But the thing that I was just going to say is the thing that about took me out was isolation because they want you dependent on them for all of your emotional feedback. Anything that you're emotionally attached to, they will try to cut out of your life. So he didn't like me talking to my family. He didn't like me visiting my family. He made an excuse that my family didn't like him. Well, if there's going to be a fight every time I want to go see my family, it's easier for me to not go see my family, mm-hmm. right? Then eventually it wasn't only not going to see my family. Then I couldn't talk on the phone when he was around because 
he would tell me the cows were out or he would tell me something to get off the phone. Okay. So I started confiding in my friend group. Well, then I got a couple of really close friends, which meant I had emotional connection to these ladies, right? We'd want to go out. We'd want to do stuff. Well, then he didn't like my friends. My friends were a bad influence. Okay. Then there started being a fight every time I wanted to do something with my friends. Oh, it's easier for me to give up my friends and fight with him all the time. So there went my friends. So I started doing hobbies that I enjoyed. I started a candle company, which was very successful. I started really decorating my house, things that made me happy that were within his rules. Well, pretty soon I was spending too much time on the candles. I was spending too much money on the decorations. Okay, now I quit that because it's easier for me to quit that than fight with him all the time. So now what am I doing? I'm literally following him around every day. I don't have, I'm not talking to my family. I'm not talking to my friends, which means my support system is completely gone. Um, I don't have any hobbies, anything that was bringing me joy. I had a set of dishes that were lime green. Lime green is my favorite color. And, and I had spent a lot of time collecting these. Well, he knew how much they meant to me. And one day in a fight, he broke all my dishes because he knew I was emotionally connected to those dishes. You know, he could have picked up anything and broke it, but he went for the stuff that he knew meant something to me because there was an emotional connection. That's what emotional abuse is. So then what would happen is Tuesday morning, We'd get up. I'd hear him talking to the girls. The girls would, girls would be laughing. He would come in the kitchen. He would, you know, pick up his coffee, leave, tell me to have a good day at work, and I'd have a good day. Wednesday, I could hear that he was heavier coming down the hall. I heard him scream at a girl, one of my girls. He would kick the dog. He would grab his coffee, leave without saying anything. I would have a horrible day. I was waiting to see what mood he was in and how he treated me before I decided how I was feeling for the day. That's emotional dependence. Mm-hmm. And if they have control of saying and doing things that make you feel things, they pretty much have control of what you do because they know we're emotionally wired. When I say my personality, I'm emotionally wired. I do everything through emotion. That type of personality doesn't have a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. They can pretend they do, which they do in the beginning. And if they need to play the victim, they can cry at the drop of a hat. But but really having the emotion that that we have, they don't. So if If they know you're the personality that is very emotionally wired, they'll use that to their advantage to control how you feel so you stay exactly where they need you to be so they feel secure. If you're someone who is has someone like this in your life, who someone who is in your shoes, Mm -hmm. what is the best way to support them? Because, you know, I will say I've had a friend who was in a very emotionally abusive relationship, a very unhealthy relationship. And I'm a very strong person and I have been since I came out this way. I was, I was the child. If my, I remember my dad was going to spank me once and I was like, I will call child protection services on you. And I was probably six when I Mm -hmm. said that, right. I was, I've always been such an advocate and someone who really has no tolerance for bullshit. And I understand that's, that's just me, right? Like that's my, my own personality from my own upbringing and, you know, my own wiring. And so it was really difficult for me to see my friend go through this and be like, why aren't you leaving? Or why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you setting this boundary? And, you know, she was a puddle on the floor and it was, it was just a difficult time in our friendship because we were, I know I didn't support her in the way that she needed it, but at the time I really felt like she needed it. That's only because you didn't know how. Right. If you would be like me and you would have gone through it, you, you would have known exactly how she felt. And I felt the same way because I'm in the middle of three sisters. Okay. I'm the okay. only extroverted one in the family. Of course, they call me crazy aunt Heidi. I'm like, you know, I'm the one in a leather bikini on the back of the Harley. My sisters would be in winter coats on the back of a Harley. <laughs> so, so, so they already see me as way outgoing. Right. Um, but I was very almost hurt that, that I felt like they didn't support me. Mm-hmm. But even if I told them what was going on, they couldn't even wrap their head around how somebody could control my emotions like that. So Jamie, we're super thankful that you don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And and now looking back, I'm so glad my sisters don't understand it because that means they haven't been through it. And they were supporting in the best way they could, which is the same thing you were doing with your friend. Mm-hmm. You didn't understand that emotional dependence. So to you, you would be one of the ones that that we would get really frustrated with because people would say the same thing to me. Well, if it's so bad, why don't you leave? Oh, yes, that's a great idea because I haven't thought of that, but every single day for the last 14 years. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
or just one day at a time. Oh, I've been doing that for the last 14 years too. But yeah. it's that, it's that emotional, I want to say connection, but it's, it's not a good emotional connection. It's them using your emotions to get you to feel certain ways so that you are basically captive to them. And it's such a slow drip. Your friend would have never known it was happening because it's, it's over the years things happen and, and, oh, well that made him mad. Okay. I won't do that again. You know, or if you bring something up and you're, and they deflect onto you by going, well, why do you have to be so sensitive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well now that's just another thing that's wrong with you. So now not only are you going to be careful with what you bring up, you're going to watch your emotions because you don't want to be called too sensitive. So you're not going to, you're going to let them get away with behavior that bothers you because if you bring it up, you're overreacting or you're too sensitive. And that's just added to the long list of things that they've already said that's wrong with you. So do you not give advice then? Or do oh, you simply so just much- say, I no, but if I'm in that situation with a friend, like how, how would I best support? Is it saying I'm here for you whenever you, yes. if you need to leave, like you can call me day or night when you're ready. Yes. And I actually, so I have, I have my own podcast. It's called, it's not normal. It's toxic. And about a year and a half ago, I did a episode called forward to your support systems. And I, I really talked to you in that episode on, you have somebody who you know is going through an emotionally abusive relationship, but because you haven't experienced it, you don't know how to support. And I really tried to explain it in a way that you could understand a little bit more of what they're going through. I also went through the things to say and not to say, and why don't you just leave is one of the things not to say. Because they've already thought of that, but they feel stuck. Um, a lot of times they don't have any control of the money. Um, they have kids and they've been threatened that they're going to take their kids away. Um, they're going to be left with nothing. They're going to, nobody's ever going to love you. You should be thankful that I'm with you because you're so pathetic or you're mental or you're okay. So, so we're too scared to leave because we don't know what to expect. We don't know what their reaction is going to be. So when somebody like you says, well, why don't you just leave? All we see is all these unknowns and we've been threatened and the things we love the most, which are our kids, they've threatened to take those. They've threatened to run away with them. They've, um, the day that I finally married him was because he said, if you don't marry me, I'm going to take Mesa and you'll never see her again. And she was two weeks old. So I married him the next day. Okay. I was 23. Looking back, he would have never been able to take her and me never see her again. Right. But at the time it was very scary because I just had this two week old that stole my heart. And now I've got him saying, if, if you don't marry me, I'm going to take her and you'll never see her again. That, that made me feel like I was backed into a corner and I was, I knew enough about him then that I knew I was scared of him. And I didn't realize that the threat was to get me to do what he wanted. It wasn't necessarily to carry out the threat. And now I know he's threatened a thousand things in my life and he's never carried out with one of them because I was so frightened. I would just quick do what he said. So he never had a chance to, and he knew that he knew he could control me with guilt. All he had to do is make me feel guilty. And I would change my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so being a support to the people who are going through it when you haven't been through it is just, just be there. And the advice thing, you say what somebody said to me, well, you have two options. You can either stay and keep doing what you're doing or let's figure out an exit plan and we'll figure it out from there because you're never going to be able to make a plan because their reactions are so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. The other thing I will tell you is nobody's going to leave until they're ready to leave. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them, how many times my mom told me, how many times I had people help me move out. I wasn't ready. And so when I work with people, I work with them if they're in it. I work with them if they're out of it. I work with them if they're in it and they leave and they go back. They need somebody that says, I know exactly how you're feeling right now and it's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be in it with you or I'll be out of it with you, whichever you need, because I can't sit there and go, well, you should have stayed out. Yeah, so should have I seven times. Mm -hmm. I knew the day that I was ready to go. And I knew I was ready. The other days I had a lot of self-doubt. Should I do this? Should I not? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I can't make it? What if I'm alone for the rest of my life? What if, you know, what if he chases me? What if he stalks me? And he did all of that. And I'm, I'm here to say, I waited until the day that I was ready. And if I wouldn't have waited until the day I was ready, I would never have met the man that I'm married to now. And I've been remarried for 12 years to the best man on the planet. Oh, I love it. And if I would have done one thing different, So, so I always have to let people know, I know the people, the people that are trying to support you, love you and they, they really want what's best for you, but they've never been in it. So just let them support you how they know how and find someone who can be in your back pocket. And that's, you know, when somebody hires me privately, I'm, I'm in their back pocket. They have, they have the ability to text me almost anytime they need. I have people that text me from closets 
from parking lots in the car um, because they, they don't know what to do next. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily always tell them what to do next, but by them being able to tell me and me going, I remember that I was sitting in a parking lot just like you once, or I was hiding in a closet or I was under the bed or I was, and, and just having somebody go, I, I was exactly right there. And that's the first thing I do when I, even on a first call with someone, I immediately get a little bit about their situation and people really start talking a lot when they're on the call because they don't, they don't have anybody else to talk to about this. So in, in about the first 45 seconds when they're busy talking, after I have enough, I close my eyes and I put myself right back where I was when I was in their position. So I know what they're, what they're scared of. I know what they're feeling. I know what their worries are. And that, that makes me be able to relate from the place that they're at right now. And I write, I help people exit, mm-hmm. which can be very dangerous. And, and I'll tell you the days that I have somebody exiting, I'm just as wound up and have pain in my stomach as the day I ran away. Well, I am grateful for you and that you're doing all of this work and having these conversations. This podcast has blown my mind. It's all the podcasts <laughs> that you're like, oh, I, don't, I wonder how this is going to go. And it's like, whoa, wow, such a powerful story. Where can everyone find you? Um, okay, so I have my own podcast. It's not normal, it's toxic. Um, funny story about that is I started it to start telling my story because I hadn't talked about it. And I knew I had to get to where I could talk about this stuff. And people will be able to tell if they go back to my first episodes. I didn't dare say my former, I didn't talk about him. I was nervous. I was ready to puke because I didn't know my audience. I thought if people don't like it, they don't have to listen, but I have to get used to talking. And that was 2 million downloads ago. Mm, so good. And, and it's just, it amazes me. And it, it saddens me at the same time that there's so many, so many people out there needing this. They don't have to fit a diagnosis. They don't have to be a narcissist. I don't use that word ever. Because I noticed that throughout this interview because I was like, that sounds like narcissism, but you, you didn't use that. But it doesn't matter if they have a diagnosis or they don't, does it make the relationship any healthier for you? And what do I do when I hear somebody has a diagnosis or had a traumatic upbringing or has an addiction? I feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. That's my personality. I knew my former had a traumatic upbringing. And if I left him, he'd have nobody. And I was sent into his life to help him and fix him and support him. And and really, he latched on to me because I had the personality that would make him feel more secure by continually accommodating. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, the other reason I don't use the word narcissism, one is narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health condition. And I am respectful of mental health conditions. You know, the toxic personality didn't ask to be this way. It was from a traumatic upbringing or it was from a diagnosis or it was from an addiction or something. So when people call them monsters or people call them narcs or people, ever, you know, that's very abrasive to me because none of these people ask to be like this. The emotionally wired personality just has to work with Dr. Heidi. No, I'm kidding. You have no, to know I, how, Let's send everyone your way. You have to learn how to spot these people because my personality has attracted several since him. I've had a couple friends that attracted to my personality for their security. I had an office manager that attracted to my personality for her security. And I need to be able to spot, spot it when I see it and then choose myself. Mm-hmm. But the other, the other thing with the whole um, narcissist word is when I was practicing in the 90s, everybody had fibromyalgia, right? And in the 2000s, everybody had a peanut allergy. And then everybody was gluten intolerant. And this decade, everybody's a narcissist, <laughs> you know? And so, so I just, it, next decade, there'll be another word. But, but my thing is, I'm not going to call everybody a narcissist because I'm not a mental health professional and it's not my job to diagnose. Yeah. And I want to be respectful because it is, you know, there's a certain level of it that is a, is a personality diagnosed personality disorder. And I just try to make sure that I'm respectful of that because they didn't mean to be like that. Mm -hmm. No, I I respect that for sure. Okay. So podcast and where else can everyone find you? Okay. Coaching with Dr. Heidi is my website. Um, And I just started a community where I'm actually doing my coaching in the community and you can do a lot. There's a lot of benefits to being in the community. I had to start a community because my private schedule is full. Well, that's amazing. So I will link everything for everyone if they want to check you out again. Thank you so much for all that you're doing and for being open about this story, because I'm sure it hasn't been easy. It has not, but it's been worth it. Love it. Thank you so much. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. 
And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your step family stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. 